Hello and welcome to episode 36 of 10-0. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. How we doing, pukey? Like, ever since COVID, like when we were off, like, I can't get my stomach back to normal. Granted, part of it is because, you know, of the parasite. Uh, But the other part of it is my stomach just doesn't like food anymore. Well, because I was literally only eating like one meal a day and now I'm back to like snacking throughout the day. And it's, it's just not happy and it hates me and I don't like it. Well, you only got a little bit longer. <sighs> Seven months to be exact. <laughs> Seven months to be exact. Six? Six. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, don't make this longer on me than it has to be. Well. Like, I always say that I miss being pregnant until I'm pregnant and I'm like, I don't fuck this. This is dumb. Why did I do it? Not really. It's not dumb. I'm like really excited that this will be my last one because, you know, I can barely handle the three that I got because they're little shit. Fine. Anyways. Gonna kick us off? Yes. Our true crime Fact of the day takes us to February 4th of 1974. Patty Hearst, the 19-year-old granddaughter of newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst, is kidnapped from her apartment in Berkeley, California by three armed strangers. Her fiancé, Stephen Weed, was beaten and tied up along with a neighbor who tried to help. Witnesses reported seeing a struggling Hearst being carried away blindfolded and she was put in the trunk of a car. Neighbors who came out into the street were forced to take cover as the kidnappers fired their guns to cover their escape. Three days later, the Samianese Libert... Didn't I do this one already? Army? No. I think I did this There's no way. Maybe it was her trial that I did. It might have been the trial or... When she was released. This is her actual kidnapping. Maybe it was when she was released. Anyway, continue. The Samianese Libertation Army, or SLA, was, which is a small U.S. leftist group, announced in a letter to a Berkeley radio station that was holding Hearst as a prisoner of war, or stated that it was holding Hearst as a prisoner of war. Four days later, the SLA demanded that the Hearst family gives them $70 in foodstuffs every day or to every needy person from Santa Rosa to Los Angeles. This done, said the SLA, negotiation would begin for the return of Patricia. Randolph gave away some $2 million worth of food and the SLA then called it inadequate and asked for $6 million more. Hearst Corporation said it would donate the additional sum if Patty was released unharmed. In April, however, the situation changed dramatically when a surveillance camera took a photo of Hearst participating in an armed robbery of a San Francisco bank. And she was spotted during a robbery of a Los Angeles store. Well. 
She later declared in a tweet <coughs> sent to authorities that she had joined the SLA of her own free will. Yeah. On May 17th, Los Angeles police raided the SLA's secret headquarters, killing six of the group's nine known members. Among the dead was the leader, Donald DeFries, an African-American ex-convict who called himself General Field Marshal Cinque. Patty Hearst and two other SLA members wanted for the April bank robbery were not on the premises at the time. Finally, on September 18th, which is probably where it was, or when it was. It's probably about right. Uh, of 1975, after Chris crossing the country with her captors, or conspirators, for more than a year, Hearst, or Tanya, as she liked to call herself, was captured in a San Francisco apartment and arrested for armed robbery. Despite her claim that she had been brainwashed by the SLA, she was convicted on March 20th of 1976 and sentenced to seven years in prison. She served 21 months before her sentence was commuted by President Carter. Mm -hmm. After leaving prison, she returned to a more routine existence and later married her bodyguard. She was pardoned by President Clinton in two <sighs> Shocker. He made a uh, lot of buck-ups. Anyways. Well. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I don't care. Okay. I will go first. Okay. So, we're going to go back to Indianapolis. Okay. I don't know why Indy is being like... I think we've done like three or four Stop. things in Indy. I've done like three already. Like, like everything goes to Indy. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Anyways, December 1st of 1971. The address is 1318 North LaSalle Street. Okay. John Carnes arrived at the residence after becoming concerned when Bob Gears and Bob Henson did not show up. Bob Gears was 35 at the time. Bob Henson was 27. And the men owned a business on 10th Street in Indianapolis called B&B Microfilm Service. Henson and Gears lived together at the LaSalle Street residence. Their secretary, Louise Cole, was interviewed by police and remember seeing the two gentlemen the previous evening. And she stated that the men stayed late to work on an important project and assumed that they would be in later. Okay. Others became concerned when the two men could not be located. Carnes took it upon himself to go do a welfare check at their home. Upon arrival, the door was unlocked and opened. Never a good sign. Henson and Gears were both in their bedrooms, bludgeoned, tied up, and had their throats slit from ear to ear. Lovely. It was said that it was as if the killer had pulled the men up by their hair and slit their throats with so much force that it nearly decapitated them. Oh. Yeah. No, thank you. A third man, James Barker, age 26, was found deceased in the bathroom. James Barker was friends with both victims and worked in sales at Bell & Howell, another microphone company. Mm -hmm. It's unclear how he was killed, other than savage. 
The police were able to recover a bloody boot print out of the bathroom that was left at the scene. However, there were no signs of forced entry or a struggle. They believed that whoever killed the three men already had a head start. Indianapolis PD immediately began looking for different, like into different motives. Mm-hmm. They were also led to believe that it could have been more than one. Set. Possible. It, yeah. I mean, how is one person going to kill three yeah. people without <clears throat> right. the second two hearing anything? Right. Like it's, I mean, it's possible. It's possible, but at the same time, like... Highly improbable. There, I found, like, five news articles Yeah. on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's it. So I had to balance back and forth between the three. Yeah. And try and piece together everything. Like, this is one of those rare occasions where I don't copy and paste anything. Look at that. I had to type this all out. Oh, you poor baby. Right. You've been listening to me tippy-tap for the last three hours on 12 pages and notes. Like, Jesus <laughs> like, will you stop? No. Can we, can, can we just record now, please? Because it's a good case. Right. So, Louise, the secretary, stated that she left the office the previous evening around 5.15 p.m., uh-huh. saying that Henson and Gears were still working when she left. A man named Theodore Euland was also interviewed and stated that he spoke with Henson at 9 p.m. and Gears around 9.30. He also stated he didn't know which place the men were at when he spoke to them and the conversation had just been about business. You mean he didn't know the place they were at? So he didn't know if they were at home or if they were at the office or... What year was this? 1971. Okay, they didn't have cell phones. No. So which phone number did you call? Right. <laughs> like, I honestly think he's the one that did that. But how are you not? We'll get to that. Which phone number you right called? So here's strike where one. <laughs> here's where things with him get a little fishy. The police believe that Yulin had the a strongest motive for killing the men because they used to work for him at record security. Okay. Allegedly, the two men had stolen equipment as well as clients from Yulin before leaving the company. So they based their new business off of his off business. Of his business with his machines. Shiesty. Okay. <laughs> Retired police officer Robert Snow mentioned Eulen as a suspect in his book titled Slaughter on North LaSalle. Maybe I should have, you know, just bought the book and read it first. Advising that Eulen had wanted to find someone to kill the men and collect on their life insurance policies. Hold on. Okay. Holding. Eulen had financial motive as well due to carrying life insurance policies on both former employees. Are, are we pulling a gunness here? What what are we doing? I think so. But this is a cold case. And why why does your employer have life insurance policies on you? They're both bachelors. That go so. They don't have family. That doesn't mean they have to have life insurance policies to leave to their boss. I know that's shiesty as hell. It is. But it was also 1971. I, yeah. 
the police discovered another angle. Okay. This one involved the hard partying lifestyles of the victims. They often frequented bars after work. Mm-hmm. And got into fights with other bar patrons. Okay. Police also learned the men were involved in unusual contest. They found notebooks with them keeping score. They competed to see who could sleep with the most women. That's disgusting. At the end of every month, the men recorded their conquests. However, they died before recording November's numbers. Maybe you deserved it. That's disgust a bug. <laughs> Apparently, Barker led with 25, and then Gears with 20, and Henson trailing at 18. That's almost one a day. It seemed possible that a jealous boyfriend or husband would or could kill them. Yeah. That's almost one a day. <clears throat> yeah. That's gross. Yeah. On her facipolades. Well, I mean, I had a hoe phase too. It was no nowhere to that. I mean, but. I think we all had a hoe phase, but <laughs> to have a competition right. of how many people you can bang in a month. Right. Ew. A woman who was seeing Henson said that she had stopped by the residence to visit him at 1 a.m., however, left after no one answered the door. So if that were true, and the timeline tracks, there would be a window between 9.30 and 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. for someone to murder all three men. Yes. And forensics didn't exist back then, which meant police officers had to go door to door together. Any and all information. Okay. They kept, like, photos of the boot print. Um. Like exact measurements and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The bloody sheets. Yeah. To try and get DNA evidence and all that fun stuff. Keep that in mind too. Okay. In 1983, a former Indianapolis resident was arrested on unrelated charges in Arizona and became a suspect in the LaSalle case. Mm-hmm. Investigators said David Lefevre, then 48, had reportedly been connected with organized crime figures in Indianapolis at the time of the murders, and was acquainted with Henson. At one point, the man who allegedly bragged about having once been a hitman offered to reveal what he knew about LaSalle Street in exchange for leniency for his wife, who was also facing charges. That's one thing you don't brag about. Right. I mean, not that I've ever been a hitman, or desire to, but... As much of a, like, that's. I feel like that's not something about. No. Because that's going to get you put away for a long, long time. Right. (laughs) Indianapolis Police Department Lieutenant Strode was ready to fly out to Arizona to talk to him, but Lefevre backed out. Shocker. Right. In 1986, it was revealed that police property room, or the police property room, had accidentally discarded some of the physical evidence in the LaSalle case. Accidentally. Uh-huh. Which included bloody sheets and some of the men's personal records. Accidentally. Heavy fucking air quotes. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like it. 
In the early 1990s, a local freelance writer, Carol Schultz, was digging into the case. The Star published a few of her stories about it, and in 1996, she seemed to have made a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. An inmate in Florida named Floyd Chastain, that he helped Carol Horton commit the murders to get back at Gears for seducing Horton's ex-wife. Horton was indicted by a grand jury, but the case fell apart by the time it got to a judge who threw up charges. Chastain's word wasn't worth a lot in the first place, and he later recanted the story, saying Horton wasn't involved, but Richard Nixon and Jimmy Hoffa were. (sighs) So, the woman that went to the house around 1 a.m. was Carol Horton's ex-wife. In 2000, the daughter of a man named Fred Harbison was going through her late father's lockbox and found a sealed letter. Her father, who once worked for Theodore Eulen, wrote a confession letter. His daughter read it. Harbison claimed that Eulen became angry with Henson and Gears because they wanted to ruin him. And Eulen hired Harbison to kill the men for their life insurance. And you're dumb. Harbison claimed Eulen never paid him for killing the two men. The murders of these men remain unsolved, even today, as most of the people involved in this case are now deceased. Well, that's shysty. Yeah. Gotta love Indianapolis cold cases. There's a lot of disgust bug things about that. And that's yeah. a lot to unpack. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. It, it's messed up. Are you ready for some creepy tunnels? Yes. So we are going to do Shanghai Tunnels. Yeah. Yeah. Really lucky because I almost did that instead of Stanley. (laughs) So it's not just um, Portland that did these tunnels. No. Seattle, Sacramento, Prescott, Uh Butte all attempted these tunnels. Uh Um, Seattle was dumb. When they attempted it, they discovered they were too far below sea level and flooded the city. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they all flooded, they thought it would be a good idea to build a city on top of a city. Yeah. Because also dumb. You know, it's fine. Hey, they almost hired me as a dispatcher. So (laughs) (laughs) That should tell you how dumb they are. No, I'm kidding. I'm actually actually good at my job. It's just... Sometimes. Yeah. When I'm not sleeping, it's fine. So the Shanghai tunnels are like a series of rooms and tunnels that wind around the north end of Portland, obviously underneath sea level. Um, This includes the historic downtown area, Skidmore Fountain, and around Chinatown. The construction of the tunnels began in the mid-19th century and continued into the 1940s. while some of the tunnels have collapsed, some have been renovated, and some of them are even still in use to get in between restaurants and stuff right. for deliveries. Um, the tunnels led to the riverfront, which provided ease of transport of goods from the businesses into town. Right. 
Um, the tunnels were connected to many businesses such as dance halls, saloons, brothels, and hotels. This included the White Eagle Saloon and Brothel and the Merchant Hotel, which come into play later. Right. Along with the official uses for the tunnels, transporting goods to and from ships, residents of Portland decided to use the tunnels for um, nefarious activities. This included... People made bad decisions. Yeah. This included was, was not limited to prostitution, yeah. alcohol storage during Prohibition, um, some of the rooms were used as opium dens. Yeah. And most famously, human trafficking. Yep. <laughs> uh, these tunnels are where the term Shanghai come from. The traffickers would take people from saloons or bars and either take them to their ships to use as crew or as sex slaves. And this was allowed to happen. Oh, yeah. The police department and politicians and businesses often looked the other way and often helped with mm -hmm. human trafficking. Unfortunately, it happens more often than not. So, for human trafficking, it was either... Oh, that's still here. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Ew. No mas. Um... Human trafficking was either, like, taking men for sailors or taking right. women to be sex slaves kind of thing. Yeah. Um, when it came to manning a ship, captains were in favor of slash cheap labor. Yep. Because, you know, why not? Much like certain United States businesses, when our borders were reopened, So, um, I lost my spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, captains would send their crew into the city bars to look for new people in town. Right. And these sailors that went into town were called crimps. I'm not a fan of that word for no. some reason. It sounds very strange to me and I don't like it. It, it um, almost sounds like pimps. Yes, it does. And I... It's like a word, a weird it's like a combination crimp. of pimp and crip. Yes. Well, and I don't like I don't either. Like um, so how it would kind of work. The crimps would buy the person a drink and drug it before they gave it to them. The person would then go unconscious or close enough to it to be handled appropriately. And with the help of the bartender... The crimps would take the man through a trapdoor in the basement of the bar and out to the ship. Crimps were usually paid about $50 a person. Ugh. Yeah. The men that were taken were often stuffed into small wooden cages with no food. More than $50 to somebody. On a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I said to somebody. <laughs> <Asshole>. <laughs> The men that were taken were often stuffed into wooden cages with little to no food or water. Right. After several days in the tunnels, they were then drugged again and taken onto the ship to be free slash cheap crew. No, thank you. So, this is the part I don't like. That's the uh -huh. shit I don't like. Uh, they were fond of taking women, too. Yeah, unfortunately. 
they would do the same with women as far as drugging their drink and take them down the same trap door that the men that were taken out went through. They were often placed in a small space in the tunnels with no light for eight to 48 hours. They were told that they would never see their families again and they would be killed if they did not cooperate. These women were then kept in the tunnels for the rest of their lives to be used as sex slaves. Yeah. And the sad thing is they made, this is going to sound horrible and I don't mean it to sound that way. They made banks. Oh, did. That is a horrible way to make, if that's how you choose to make money and you choose to do it that way, you do you. To be forced to, to do it? To be forced to do absolutely it? Absolutely not. In the beginning of the sex trade, women were forced to go up into the streets to sell themselves. They often had little hope of escaping as the authorities were often paid off and were paid to look the other way. The demand for prostitutes was high in private bars and upscale hotels and bonus points if they were connected to the tunnels. Um, human trafficking damn near stopped around World War II and right. never started up again. A, that required people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <then>. Yeah, <laughs> the war, all the ships that were built took all the steel, obviously, and due to a lower male population that to keep unsavory businesses and people alike out of the area. They stayed closed to the public for many years until the Cascade Historical Society discovered them. And they're the ones that started re- renovating them and now give tours through the tunnels. I, I understand renovating them and giving tours, but at the same time, fucking demolish them. There's so they much can't. pain and suffering for So close them. Like, fill them with fucking concrete. Something. Yeah. They can't close them without killing Portland. Well, <laughs> they can't demolish them without killing Portland. It's Portland. It's that much. Just kidding. For the record, I did not say that. Just kidding. I've never been to Portland. I actually planned my vacation to Portland, um, like last year, but we went to Myrtle Beach instead because I didn't want to get on a plane. You have to get on a plane eventually. No. no yeah. I'm- and I don't like it either, but I, I do I it. I really wanted to go stay at this, like, uh, bed and breakfast that had uh, extracurriculars. And it was important. And that's where I wanted to go. Like, I was. There's two kinds of people out there. <laughs> Which extracurricular um, are you thinking of? Um, the not legal in Indiana one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to get stoned <laughs> and stay in this person's B&B, okay? <laughs> I wanted to eat all the edibles and do all the things that you can do when you're high. I lied. There's three people out there. <laughs> the one that was thinking drugs, the one that was <laughs> was thinking horizontal tango deeds, <laughs> and the third person that had no idea what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> God damn it. And now I can't do any of that stuff because A, I'm pregnant, uh, and B, my job. Uh, I, as a government employee, 
I cannot partake in such things. So. Christ. Me going to Portland is out of the question. Uh, it was a good idea at the time, though. Because I wasn't, like, it was the year before last, not last year. But I was not employed Ouch. where I work now. Uh, so I would have been able to get away with it. Yeah. No, not so much. Thank you for my job. I like it. So I plan on keeping it. (laughs) (laughs) I like this one. I keep it. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, that laughing that hard made my head hurt. Oh, Christ. Imagine being congested like I am. Like, I'm about to use my freaking saline stuff again. Well, don't drown yourself. Okay. Okay. I can't make any comments. So, moving on to the hauntings in this tunnel. Obviously, many people suffered, died, had horrible lives in these tunnels. Yes. Okay. So, the first... I don't want to call her a ghost. Spirit? I, I guess. Okay. I don't know what to call her. So, her name is Nina. Okay. Okay. In the early 1900s, Nina was a indentured sex slave, because I hate that. Um, she was approached by missionaries who promised to rescue her if she told them who kidnapped her and who, quote-unquote, owned her. She told the missionaries. Didn't have a problem with it. Okay. Before she could be rescued, she was killed and thrown down the elevator shaft of the Merchant Hotel, which is where she commonly worked. It's not known if she was killed by a customer or by the men who owned her, hate that, when they found out what she'd done. I'm going to say that it was the person who had the possession. Um, Because I don't like that term either. But also, she is the reason behind the elevator game. Oh, oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh. Yeah. Elevator shaft. What better way to get revenge than... That was a... That started as a Japanese thing. But did it? Are you sure? I mean, from the research I did on on. the Cecil. Come on, think (laughs) about it. I mean, it makes sense. Shanghai Tunnel. Where's Shanghai? In Asia. China? I think. Back then, people didn't really care about the difference between Japan and China. Interesting point. Um, She... Sometimes. Um, (laughs) She can often be seen at Old Town Pizza, which is where the Merchant Hotel used to be. I aspire to haunt an old pizza place. Um, her picture is hanging on the wall in the no, restaurant. Pizza. I wanted pizza for like a fucking month. Um, her name, her name is hanging on the wall. I hate my life. Her picture is hanging on the wall. And there's a brick in one of the walls of the old elevator shaft with her name etched in it. Because that's not creepy. Right. That, I've watched way too much Supernatural. Okay. That is how... The spirit stays 
alive forever because it attaches itself to things that or just wait just wait till the last the last thing about nina you're you're gonna shitty kitten um nina makes her presence known by appearing as a lady in white or a lady wearing a black dress so both ends of the spectrum apparently she i guess there's a balcony on the second floor and she normally stands on the balcony it is more common to smell her perfume than see her but if you smell her perfume look over your shoulder you can see the tail end of a black dress so i have a small employee story one employee was in the kitchen after closing finishing up he heard soft footsteps coming towards him he looked up and saw a female form dressed in a long black dress walking towards him when nina saw him looking at her she stopped and looked at him before going down the basement steps toward the blocked off tunnel no are you so this involves zach i know do you know where i'm going with this yep so obviously they've investigated the tunnels yes okay i don't know if he was joking with her or do you remember there was an actual bed down there that he was laying on wasn't there yes okay so he was talking i guess with Nina when they caught an EVP. No, he was provoking her. Of as a, he does. Well, that's. he's an idiot. Point made. Uh, they caught an EVP of a female voice saying, get naked. Yep. That is not who I would say that to because he would actually fucking do it. I mean, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> I would. Fuck that. His voice is enough to make me not want to. Okay. He doesn't have to talk. And I can cover his face. Like, it's fine. I have seen him without his shirt so many times. And those abs. Sorry. I don't want the abs. I like chubby guys. I should not be attracted to abs. But anyway. Those abs are... Okay. <laughs> well. Uh, the next is the Jennifer Joe. The Jennifer Joe was a ship whose captain had purchased men that had been taken from Portland. In 1902, 100 men that were taken from the city were chained together underneath the deck of the ship. Oh. All 100 of these men died when the ship sank. Gee, I wonder why. It's said that every year on the anniversary of their death, the men come running back through the tunnels as a group looking for those that are responsible for them. Witnesses have seen them and heard them, and this, I just got chills just looking fucking at it. Some people have been touched by a cold, wet hand. Fuck that. (laughs) I'm sorry, but when's the anniversary? Uh, 1902. No, no. I don't know what the actual date is. I kind of want to find out and go to Portland. I'm okay with that. Okay, do you know how many ghosty things I have planned for when we go to Denver? Do you know how many things I'm, if I can find what prison Joe Airdy was at, I'm bringing fucking ice cream in a train. I'm not I know. kidding. I know. <laughs> I told Jeremy that. He fucking laughed at me. So next we have some mobsters. During Prohibition, many mob groups right fought over territory in the tunnels. He Obviously, led it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So this one, my last one's a little kind of creepy. Sorry, I'm getting slap happy because I'm tired. I know. So next are some crimps. 
this is this is creepy. Many mediums have gone into the tunnels and seen what they believe are the crimps. They have been described as large, dark, shadowy figures with burning red eyes. If I saw two little red dots in these tunnels, I think I would be scooby-dooing the fuck out. First off. People visiting the tunnels have said that they get an uneasy feeling, a sense of thick atmosphere in some parts of the tunnels, and like they're being watched. Yes. Um, there is a male bartender that worked with the crimps. He can be seen in the Lotus nightclub basement. This bartender will throw shit at you and fuck with you at the bar. Alright. Okay. So, he's thrown CO2 canisters and shot glasses off the bar while people are sitting right there. Bet. I don't, I don't want it to come home with me. That's my problem. I, I think it's more attached to that bar than it is you. I fucking hope so. Um, he's also known for just straight up messing with people. The same employees who have the CO2 canisters thrown at them uh-huh. came upstairs to find a single shot glass upside down on the bar after closing when nobody else is there. No thank you. That's a hard pass for me. But that is the Shanghai Tunnels. Creepy McCreeperson. Yes. If I saw two red eyes staring at me in these fucking tunnels, I think I'd be scooby doing the fuck out. Eh, no. Yeah. Bye. I'm a little bitch. Bye. <laughs> I, I'm one of those people that's kind of like Zach Bagans, and I'll just, I'll just stay. I think it depends. Now. Is it a friendly ghost? If it was Nina, I would probably stay. If it's a crimp, again, Scooby-Doo the fuck out. Yeah. I'm one of those people that's like so fascinated by the paranormal that I would just hang out. Yeah, like, and that's how you... I want to go to Sloth's Furnace and just mm, stay. No, I'm good. I'm good on that one. Regardless of what happens, stay. Mm. And everyone's like... No, I, I'd be gone within like the first 10 minutes after something happened. <laughs> and I'm like, no. If I see some burned flesh looking melted ass thing, I'm out. Bye. Deuces. I'm also still like super skeptical. The, yeah, I, I would agree. Anyways. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook app. You would. <laughs> Pin zero. <laughs> True crime and paranormal stories from behind the headset. Look at you. Twitter and Instagram are slightly the same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Instagram is 10 zero podcast, all spelled out. Uh, Twitter is the number 10 underscore the number zero underscore podcast. Um, we have a Patreon with four different levels of goodies for your donations. Um, we have an email. 10zeropodcast at gmail.com where you can send your listener stories, hint, hint, wink, wink, and your case suggest for us. Um, we have our square site that has our decals, and I'll be putting our stickers up soon. Um, our giveaway? Yes. If we hit 250 likes on Facebook and Instagram, for a total of 500 likes between the two, 
we will be doing a personalized Tumblr giveaway. We might throw in some freebies with it. Um, who am I kidding? You know we're going to. Anyways. If we get 750. There you go. Math is hard. <laughs> Between Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We will do a limited edition tie or bleach tie-dyed hoodie with our logo on it. And it's super cool and super cool. Yes. And I even told my mom she couldn't have one without following. So Well shit. Uh, that right there should tell you guys that. I'm not fooling around. We will not make any other logo hoodies until I make this one. There are only two in existence, and those are mine and Maria's. Because we're cool. Speaking of. Sometimes. I need to find mine. Mine's in my closet, I think. I hope. I think mine's in my closet, but no. But yeah. I think that's it, I right? I'm wearing the same like five outfits right now because I can't. Well, I'm anything else. double Carhartt right now, so. You know. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so with that being said, stay safe and try not to become the next ten zero. <laughs>